when the 36th USCT was put to work at Point Lookout guarding Confederate prisoners, it was bottom rail on top, some even guarding their own former owners. How did that play out? We'll find out when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Answer the president's call to service. As an AmeriCorps member, I know that Americans everywhere are helping each other, showing strength of character. As a senior Corps volunteer, I know that Americans are showing kindness and compassion. As an AmeriCorps member, I see plenty of American spirit and enthusiasm. Together, we make America strong. Together, we make America great. Find out how you can serve at nationalservice.org. It's your world. It's your chance to make it better. Apply online at nationalservice.org. Looking for answers in real estate? We break it down for you. Each week, the Exeter Group explores how successful investors evaluate and acquire real estate to build their portfolio. From financing tips, tax and accounting strategies, and advice on how to control risk, the Exeter Group entertains and informs while divulging secrets used by the most successful investors. Tune in to the Exeter Group every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Radio Studio A. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, uh, enjoying the uh, swift work of Anthony, the excellent uh, producer and engineer of this show, who has quickly switched out the traditional public service announcements that counsel us not to commit crimes with guns, for uh, uh, some more uplifting material, urging people to volunteer for AmeriCorps, which is actually uh, a remarkable cause, or donate to uh, Armed Forces Relief Funds, uh, both of which may actually draw a response from uh, from our listeners, and, and I hope they do. Uh, so, Anthony, thank you for the, the quick work there. Um, we're talking today with Richard Reed, uh, professor and author of Freedom for Themselves. It's about North Carolina's black soldiers. And we were talking uh, at the end of the last segment about the, the intersection of uh, uh, racial attitudes, not not just in the North, uh, just in the South, I should say, but in the North as well, uh, and the reality of black soldiers serving the Union cause. And I mentioned in the, the introductory uh, moment to this section the experience of the second North Carolina colored volunteers later renumbered the 36th uh, USCT, United States Colored Troops, uh, serving as prison guards in Maryland at Point Lookout, uh, where they were in positions of armed authority over Confederate prisoners. That that really was a case of bottom rail on top, was it not? Absolutely. And, um, I mean, it, it is perhaps one of the the best examples of how Southerners faced new symbols of a social transformation. Um, and it wasn't simply that for many of these white Confederate POWs, they had never encountered black troops. And now at a time when uh, they were experiencing the bitter reality of being prisoners, that the guards over uh, in charge of them were now black soldiers. 
but um, you cannot think of anything more basic and stripped down to the fundamentals than being a Confederate prisoner of war in one of these camps. And as you got up at night to go to the washroom, being told by a black soldier where you could or where you could not go to the washroom, there was a problem that many of these prisoners weren't going to the uh, prison sinks and properly performing there. Um, and that if they didn't obey these black soldiers, they ran the risk of being shot, and some were shot. Um, it must have been uh, bitter for some of the Confederate soldiers there. Uh, now, by contrast, if you were a young black soldier by yourself at night in the middle of thousands of Confederate uh, prisoners, it could have been pretty unnerving for you as well. The the uh, fear, as you point out, was not only that, that you're surrounded by the prisoners, but also the, the civilians in, in Maryland were not likely and, to be sympathetic. Uh, and these soldiers had uh, numerous cases where they would run into um, <clears throat> uh, conflict with the, the white civilians around um, the prison. And you have cases, and I cite some of them, of soldiers being attacked or knocked down by civilians or by other white uh, Union soldiers. Now, probably most of it was racially motivated, but as I said earlier, um, seems to me around a lot of army towns in Canada, and I can't imagine my United States is much different, that there's clashes between the soldiers and the civilians for a number of reasons. But clearly, uh, in Maryland, it was in part the, the, the bitterness overseeing black soldiers in, in uniforms and carrying guns. Well, you know, this brings us around, then you mentioned the, the occasional conflicts with, with northern white soldiers as well, uh, and the incident that, that initially triggered your interest in the, this topic of uh, a white officer, Union officer, sending out uh, uh, scouts, outriders, mm -hmm. to warn Confederate civilians that uh, the Union regiment was, a uh, black regiment was coming to uh, to look for for contraband. Um, there there are several instances where where white and black Union regiments very nearly come to blows uh, in your book. Uh, yes, both um, <clears throat> sometimes during the war and certainly afterwards when. Um, white and black regiments are doing reconstruction service, and it's probably <clears throat> heightened by uh, the fact that most of the men in both white and black regiments didn't want to be in the army after the war was over. Um, but there's also probably a, a second element that I, I touch on, and I think it's worth noting that for um, black southern regiments, they faced... <clears throat> the normal racial prejudice that is discussed in a lot of books. And you can see it in <clears throat> many cases. But they also uh, faced a, uh, a form of regionalism. Um, even the northern officers um, who come down and have first contacts with the, uh, the white southern soldiers are predisposed to thinking more highly of northern black soldiers like the men in the 55th and 54th we talked about, um, 
and are more willing to see southern soldiers and not quite being up to their standards. And you can see that in a number of cases that I document through the book. One, one really interesting point I thought you made was the, uh, the tendency of people to view, uh, this is a general psychological tendency, of people to view uh, evidence, uh, experiences, any kind of input in ways that confirm their pre-existing prejudices. Uh, yes. Uh, and the examples I'm thinking of are, are the actual combat performances of these regiments, like the 35th USCT at, at, at OLSD in Florida. Uh, how, how did that work out? Well, <clears throat> let me circle around to get to that. Because okay. um, one of the things that looking at a number of regiments let me do is, is look at the issue of um, the perception of the performance of these soldiers and, and um, what people and how historians can actually try to measure these performances. And my starting point might be <clears throat> the quote that was made by the Confederate General uh, Howell Cobb when he starts off by saying you can't make soldiers of slaves nor slaves of soldiers. That if you can make slaves of soldiers, the whole theory of slavery is wrong, but in the end, it, you can't make, but they won't make good soldiers. What raises the question for me, uh, if you're a military historian, how do you judge how, histor how soldiers have done? And I look at um, one battle and try to explore um, how we can fairly assess um, the performance of, of black or white soldiers. And I look at the 35th at Olesty, but one of the things that colors all of the reports is this phenomenon of, of um, confirmation bias, that we all tend to remember things in ways that support pre-existing uh, assumptions. And that seemed like a much more neutral way than simply saying people have racial biases in, in discussion. And so um, <clears throat> you had the two cases of the 54th uh, black Massachusetts regiment and the um, 35th, this North Carolina regiment, serving virtually side-by-side side, uh, at the key point in the battle. Uh, and then you can see what people say about the two of them, the two regiments, after it's all over. And I found this concept of confirmation bias useful in trying to sort out how people remembered what had been done. Now, they see uh, the, the, those who are looking for a good performance from the black troops see the, the 35th as performing a brave rearguard action and, and uh, helping the rest of the army get away. But uh, there's another view as well. Is that right? Yes. Um, and uh, maybe I don't touch upon this in the book, but um, although I, I do think I do mention it, um, a classic example would be the uh, attack of the 54th Massachusetts <clears throat> at Battery Wagner, where um, certainly within much of New England, um, and certainly today, we think of that regiment as demonstrating its, uh, its martial abilities uh, as it attacked uh, a very difficult position. <clears throat> 
But following the um, the attack on on Battery Wagner, there were northern soldiers, uh, northern officers, including some New England abolitionists, who thought that um, Colonel Shaw had been sacrificed in an experiment that was wrong, and that the soldiers <clears throat> had let him down. Um, so how people think blacks performed has as much to do with their own pre-existing attitudes as I think it does to the actual performance of the soldiers. Um, and that's one of the things that, that I got to play with as I was writing on this. And, and you have a good sample here, because whereas the 35th does perform well in, in that battle and at Honey Hill and other places, the, uh, the 36th doesn't, doesn't get to fight until near the end of the war. It's, it, it's seen as a unit of last resort, um, and that may be because it wasn't uh, a very good regiment. Although, <clears throat> I do wonder if it may also not have been a terribly well led regiment. Um, there's one case in the uh, the assault against Richmond in the fall of, of 64 when the 37th is uh, taking part in a flanking attack and in the presence of what is probably not a large cavalry force, though it was claimed to have been about a thousand. In the face of, of the first sight of cavalry, the commanding officer formed the regiment into a square one doesn't think of a square being terribly appropriate as a uh, battle formation in the Civil War. At least, I, I don't. It's rarely, rarely used. You know, so you, you wonder to what extent uh, the measure of the performance of a regiment rests as much on its senior command as it does on the soldiers. But, but certainly, um, the 37th was a good example of a black regiment that people, that senior officers did not have much confidence in. The uh, to to mention the 36 while we since we're getting them all in here the uh, uh, the 36th regiment had leaders who uh, like like Colonel Draper who were very in, intent on it uh, setting a good record and I thought it was particularly interesting uh, how he arranged to have it be the first regiment into Richmond uh, at the end of the war there I suppose. <clears throat> The officers and men of these regiments were aware that they were constantly being evaluated and measured and judged. And so, in the same way that, that um, Colonel Shaw wanted the 54th Massachusetts to have the honor of attacking Wagner, uh, so Draper wants his regiment to be the first regiment into Richmond. Um, and he goes to great lengths, as I explained there, to, to try to get into Richmond. Um, now, there's a certain irony that um, this is the same officer who later out in uh, Texas is shot in the back, uh, either by accident or deliberately by somebody in a in a black firing squad. But the so so he may not be the most popular with his <laughs> men. Uh, uh, well, uh, they ruled it as accidental, but um, certainly in Reconstruction service. Um, there were you know, bitter feelings in, in the ranks towards some. I I'm not sure if it's directed towards uh, Draper, but uh, there is that question mark. Well, I, 
hear the music that tells us we are once again out of time. But uh, I want to thank you once again, uh, Richard, for uh, joining us on the show today and, and for your excellent book. Well, it's my pleasure to be on. Listeners, you'll want to take a look at Richard Reed's Freedom for Themselves, North Carolina's Black Soldiers in the Civil War Era. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Mm -hmm.